This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I'm your host, E. Spencer Kite, joined by my partner in crime on the Punch Drunk Predictions, Patrick Shivik Linsky. We are recording this on Sunday evening, August 7th. Going to recap a little UFC SLC, talk about Yair Rodriguez, who got a victory in the main event over Alex Caceres, focus in a little bit on the featherweight division, and then just kind of expand things, look back on the year. I know we're past the halfway mark and well past the halfway mark, but it feels like a good point to kind of reflect on some things. We have a week off coming up this week, no event this weekend as we prep for UFC 202. So we're going to look back on some personal highlights. We're going to look ahead to the things that we're looking forward to most. But Patrick, I want to jump right in and and get right to it. Yair Rodriguez picks up a split decision victory. Um, One judge, Derek Cleary, awarded the main event to Alex Caceres with a score of 49-46, which seemed downright crazy to me. Um, Some people that were funnier than me and quicker than me on Twitter suggested maybe he was dizzy from all the spinning shit. (laughs) Um, Brian Stan had tweeted out during that fight that, he needed some Dramamine. Our boy Hunter Homestek also did as well. What were your thoughts on the main event itself and Yair Rodriguez's performance before we talk about sort of where he goes from here and his standing as a prospect in the division? Well, yeah, I mean, despite uh, despite my punch-drunk predictions uh, going wrong there, I, I had it uh, for Alex Sakaris coming in. But, I mean, I think it was definitely the right call. It should have been a unanimous decision for Yair Rodriguez. Um, I don't think there was any doubt that that he won that fight. Uh, it was a pretty wild fight. I mean, from from the from Jump Street. I mean, it looked like um, a Taekwondo uh, show from from the start. They were throwing spinning roundhouse kicks and kind of all these interesting striking techniques that we don't often get to see. Um, in a high level MMA fight, that's something you kind of, you know, expect to see between two guys who are kind of maybe a little green and a little new on the amateur scene, trying out some stuff that, you know, might or might not work, but this was two high level guys coming in there and using techniques that we don't often get to see. Um, And they worked actually. And that was, that was the fun part about it is, you know, um, Yair Rodriguez was, uh, coming in there and and his techniques, you know, were were effective some more than others. But um, I think the most impressive takeaway from that entire fight is that, you know, Yair Rodriguez can go five rounds. I think that was the big question coming in. Um, you know, will he be able to kind of um, keep up that pace that he's known to have and that he's had sort of in the UFC um, through his first few fights? through uh, five rounds, and that proved to be true. He was able to do it, and he looked good. I mean, he didn't look gassed out or, or tired, and, you know, the um, Salt Lake City altitude doesn't do you any favors either. So uh, I thought it was a 
very solid performance from Yair Rodriguez. Um, you know, and hats off to Bruce Leroy as well. I think he had a he had a decent fight. It's you know, it's a tricky kind of opponent to match up against with Rodriguez. He's really hard to um, game plan for because he throws so many unorthodox strikes. You don't know when they're coming most of the time, and he hits from angles that you kind of don't expect. And it was just an interesting fight all around. And I thought both guys, you know, definitely deserve that fight of the night tag. Uh, for Rodriguez, it was another strong win. I I wouldn't say I was blown away by his, his performance, but um, then again, you know, when you're fighting a, a guy like Bruce Leroy, who's also kind of unorthodox in his own right and a very tricky guy on the ground, you definitely, you know, don't want to kind of make it too dangerous where you're putting yourself in positions that, you know, um, you know, uh, Alex Sakaris could capitalize on that. So, I thought it was a definitely a solid performance and one that he can build on moving forward now. Yeah, I definitely thought it was one of those fights that, that we'll look back on in a couple of years as Yair Rodriguez continues to progress, um, continues to climb the ladder, and we look at it and say that's that fight where he took a step forward. I think you're absolutely right about the five-round thing. We saw, you know, he's fought in Mexico City in the past. He fought at altitude here. He did slow down. Some of the spinning stuff wasn't there as much in the latter rounds, but that's to be expected. It was, to me, a very solid overall performance. Like you said, not blown away, but a very good performance. Coming out of that, he he was a guy going in that, you know, a lot of people looked at as a future title contender, a guy that has championship potential. Coming off that performance, is his stock diminished at all for you? Has it risen at all for you? Or was this kind of just a hold steady moment? Uh, no, I think it's certainly risen. Um, I think slightly. I mean, I wouldn't say that um, he made a monumental leap forward with this fight. But at the same time, it definitely is a step forward in that, you know, it is a five-round fight. It was his first uh, headlining assignment. And, you know, he... He passed. I mean, if I had to give him a letter grade, I'd give him probably a B or a B plus. You know, he he did very well. He did what he needed to do to win the fight and uh, made it very entertaining for the fans in Utah. Um, I think that, you know, it, it's one of those fights where, you know, he can learn a lot as well kind of moving forward um, about kind of, um, uh, you know, maintaining his energy and, and being able to place it in the right spots. As you mentioned, you know, he did get a little bit tired. That is to be expected, obviously, when you're throwing as many flying techniques and spinning techniques as he is. Um, I don't know a guy alive who'd be able to keep that up for 25 minutes straight. So, you know, that that's just normal. Um, but I think that, you know, uh, putting sort of his his power in the right places, that's, that's one thing maybe that, you know, uh, I'd be interested to see is um, techniques that maybe – you know, we saw a lot of techniques that, you know, were were very unique and very exciting, but I didn't see many techniques that, you know, um, were devastating in, in, in the way someone, you know, hits like a Robbie Lawler or something like that. And obviously they're different fighters, but um, just that sort of, it didn't feel that that extreme sense of danger was there for me after the first round. Um, you know, I felt that, it was going to probably go to a decision at that point. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, obviously it's difficult to work on, but I think for Rodriguez definitely 
having that sort of, um, you know, fear of him coming at you with a flying head kick like Andre Feely, you know, had at UFC 197. That's something that, you know, is going to be more difficult for him to do as as the competition steps up and as he, you know, fights better guys. But, you know, if he can maintain that sort of uh, element of danger, then that's a big kind of, you know, um, you know, card to have. Um, and, and guys will definitely be a little more cautious against him. And it kind of gives him that feeling of, of being a sort of unorthodox guy that he could hit you with anything at any time. So that'll be interesting to see how he adjusts that moving forward, I think. So the featherweight division was on full display Saturday night in Salt Lake City. Not only was the main event at 145 pounds, so was the co-main event, Dennis Bermudez, getting a decision win over Hani Jason. The fight pass featured prelim was also in the featherweight division with Cub Swanson getting a very good win. Um, 30-27 on two cards, 29-28 on one, which felt like the right score. How he won the first round on two scorecards is weird. He was on bottom for most of it. But with the division getting that much attention. Can't forget Teruto Ishihara in there as well, but he's not really in the mix yet as much as he is a an exciting sort of guy to watch on the way up. But with the division getting that much activity last night, it is still sort of front and center because the champion Conor McGregor hasn't defended the belt and isn't defending the belt. There is an interim champion in Jose Aldo. How do you match up some of these guys going forward? Um a guy like Swanson, who is a veteran, a young up-and-comer like Rodriguez, Bermudez, who's sort of in between the two, and then just some of the other guys that are in in this weird holding position, like Max Holloway, or like some of these other young kids that are on the way up, like Mirsad Bektik or Brian Ortega. What are some of your thoughts on how you move these guys around, and if you're Sean Shelby, some of the potential matchups you make going forward? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, to start off with, uh, you know, Dennis Bermudez, uh, you know, he called out uh, Frankie Edgar for for New York. Um, I thought that was, you know, a, a solid call out. And, um, you know, that that's something that, you know, could potentially be a fight. I mean, Frankie's coming off um, that loss to Jose Aldo. We c- sort of don't know. I mean, his coach uh, sort of alluded to the fact that you know, he could potentially go down to bantamweight, but, you know, who knows how tough of a cut that might be for him. Uh, if he ends up staying at 145, I think a fight against someone like Dennis Bermudez is a good challenge, um, you know, for him. And for Bermudez, it's a big step up in competition. But, you know, this is a guy who was on a, you know, pretty high winning streak before those back-to-back losses he suffered, Um you know, to Ricardo Lamas, um, and then he, who is the... And then uh, Jeremy Stevens. And then Jeremy Stevens. Uh, who could forget the little heathen, yeah. Um, he had those back-to-back losses, kind of set him back, but he was on a pretty good run there before those um, two losses, and I think that now, bouncing back with two wins, he's got a win over Hakron Diaz. Uh, oh, sorry, not Hakron Diaz. <laughs> Um, he had that win over Tatsuya Kawajiri, I believe. Yes. And, um, and now the win over Honey Jason. I think that he's in a position where, you know, a match with someone like Frankie Edgar could be interesting. I don't know if Frankie's going to, you know, go for a fight like that. But New York makes a lot of sense if he ends up, you know, uh, agreeing to that fight. Um, and for a lot of the other guys, it's an interesting spot as well. I mean, you, you do have 
some of these guys uh, coming up the ranks. You have Duhol Choi, who's a very interesting featherweight in that uh, in that 145 division. You have uh, guys like Mursad Bektik kind of on the outskirts of, of that, you know, top 10. Um, for Yair Rodriguez, though, I mean, the possibilities are kind of endless. It really depends on what you want to do with the guy. Do you want to give him that huge step up in competition? Because if so, we could feed him to Killer Cub, you know, <laughs> and see how, how that goes. That could be an interesting fight. You know, they're both um, coming off wins at, at this past event at Salt Lake City. Uh, could be an interesting fight if the UFC sort of wants to take it a little bit slower with Rodriguez and not throw him into a fight against someone like uh, Cub Swanson or even someone like Dennis Bermudez. You know, timing-wise, it could work out. Um, if that doesn't happen, I'd be interested in seeing him fight the winner of uh, Brian Ortega and Hakran Diaz. Um, that could be a very interesting fight, which is in October. And Brian Ortega is a guy who... You know, obviously kind of undefeated in the UFC with that no contest on his record. But he's a young up-and-comer, kind of around that same age as Yair Rodriguez. And I think he's a prospect that's, you know, um, more interesting in terms of what he can do long-term in that division than someone like Bruce Leroy. Um, There's a lot of upside to Brian Ortega, and he has a very, very, you know, dangerous submission game as well as some great striking in his arsenal. So it'll be interesting. You know, that could be an interesting matchup if he were to get past Hakran Diaz. So there's a, there's a bunch of matchups right now. And um, I think the division is kind of wide open for possibilities. You do have Jeremy Stevens there in the mix. You know, that dude keeps reinventing himself like Jay-Z. It's crazy. Um, and uh, I, I think that it's going to be, very interesting moving forward, but you know I'm curious to see what happens whether we get you know Connor back or whether we don't get him back. I want to hear your thoughts on that because that's something that I'm very curious about. Well, and I think that's the thing that really is the deciding point for a lot of these matchups and for a lot of what Joe Silva, Sean Shelby, the UFC are going to be able to do and think about doing going forward in this division because if Connor comes back, it really only makes sense to have the fight with Jose Aldo, unify the titles, figure that out and move forward. That then changes up what you can do with Max Holloway, who is in kind of a holding pattern right now and jumped on Twitter last night after Dennis Bermudez called out Frankie Edgar and said, get in line. Um, Max definitely wants that fight. He said it last week. I loved the Bermudas call-out. I think it makes perfect sense. I love that fight for Frankie. I love that fight for the division. Um, as much as Max wants that fight, I think it's a bad fight for him just in terms of the risk-reward of it. I think he's better off just kind of cooling his heels and waiting to see what happens. I know he doesn't like doing that. He likes fighting. But you're in too good of a spot right now to roll the dice by fighting a guy that's as talented and dangerous as Frankie Edgar. I think Conor McGregor comes back. I mean, I know there has been a lot of talk about him not being able to make that 45, and it's such a bad cut. And it'll be interesting because he has been fighting these last two fights now at welterweight. But I just look at the fact that he's made it in the past. He's got the right people around him in terms of working with George Lockhart, in terms of 
having done it so many times before that he knows how to do it, that even if it's just for one more trip down, I think he, I think he knows he needs to do it at least once. I think he's really interested in going down and fighting Jose Aldo again, a guy that was undefeated for 10 years, and then he knocked out in 13 seconds. I think there's a little bit of of ego involved for Conor McGregor of going down and proving that it wasn't some fluke shot and that it wasn't a one-time thing, that he can do it again. Um, and it's also going to be a, a big money fight, and we do know that he likes money. Mm-hmm. So I do think Conor comes back. I think he, I think it'll probably just be for one more fight, and then we see him do a move to lightweight or, or continue bouncing around the way he has just taken whatever big fights are out there. But I think he comes back, and that then reshuffles the order a little bit in terms of where some of these guys go. In terms of Yair Rodriguez, in terms of some of these younger kids, I really hope they take the slow route. I think the best course of action for for a guy like Yair, Yair Rodriguez is the same path that the UFC took with Max Holloway, who started off in that prospect zone. He had a couple losses early in his UFC career, Dustin Poirier, Dennis Bermudez, and Conor McGregor. Then he went on that run, where, but he's still on now. But it started against guys. The first fight was Will Chope. And then he slowly kind of moved up bit by bit. And there was Andre Feely in there. And there were just incremental progress where he wasn't getting rushed into the deep end. He was getting a chance to fight regularly, continue improving, continue developing. And we've seen the benefits of that. And I think that's what they need to do with Yair Rodriguez. I hope that's also what they do with the Korean Superboy. If you're going to move any of these prospects forward quickly, I think what they're doing with Brian Ortega fits. I think Mirsad Bektik needs a comeback fight because he has been off dealing with an ACL injury. So get him one more to just sort of get right, shake out the cobwebs. And then he's another guy I think that you can kind of accelerate because his skill set and his maturity as a fighter lends itself to that. But I do think Connor comes back and we see some of these young guys be able to get a bit of a slow build because there are so many established veterans and and cemented guys ahead of them that we don't need to rush them in against the Cub Swansons, against the Jeremy Stevens, even against the guys like Charles Oliveira. So it will be interesting to see, as you said, plenty of options for Joe Silva and Sean Shelby going forward at 45. Definitely one of the divisions that is going to be front and center the rest of the way home, starting in a couple of weeks at UFC 202. Even though that main event is being contested at welterweight, it has some serious featherweight ramifications, but we will get to that at a later date, another podcast. This right now is the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite and Patrick Shivik-Linsky. That kind of wraps us. I don't want to spend too much time on Salt Lake City. There were some good fights. There were some strong performances. But I think Yair Rodriguez was really the highlight, really the one guy that has some upside to talk about going forward, sort of in the immediate future. Um, But I want to move forward. I want to get some of your highlights for this year. Some of the things that, you know, have really stood out for you, either either in terms of individual fighters or specific performances or larger stories, larger narratives overall. What are the things that have really jumped out to you so far in 2016? Well, definitely, I think it's only appropriate with, you know, UFC 202 coming up to talk about the sort of rise or re-rise of Nate Diaz. Um, You know, this is a guy who's been in the UFC for years, uh, always been a very game fighter, 
you know, and, and never really kind of shining on his own, kind of always in the shadow of, of Nick. He was always Nick's little brother for the longest time. And, you know, I was sort of sitting on the couch last week and, and you know, watching some TV and, you know, going on YouTube. And now you see Nate Diaz on Jimmy Kimmel. Like, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I would never guess would happen even, you know, a year ago that we'd be seeing Nate Diaz on something like Jimmy Kimmel. And, uh, you know, he's appeared on, on uh, Conan as well. This guy's really making a name for himself. And it's all coming off that win to Connor. He got that one opportunity that he wanted, uh, you know, uh, coming off that, you know, win to against Michael Johnson in December. I remember talking about it with you. We said it was an impressive win. We were kind of thinking, you know, where does he go from here? And, you know, uh, you know, kind of weighing the options that he had. We I we just dis- we dismissed the call out. We said it was we said it was wildly entertaining and great to hear, but we didn't think he had any legitimate claim in terms of getting into that getting into that group. Not a chance, and that's exactly you know what I thought for the longest time until you know that call came for UFC 196 RDA you know, uh, injured and out of the fight. And that, and then we got the Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor fight. I think, you know, going into that fight, everything kind of felt like, well, this is going to be, you know, another one for Conor. He's looking good on the full belly. He's, he's looking comfortable. It's going to be another one. And Nate Diaz shocks the world. Um, and, you know, he wasn't surprised, as he'll tell you. <laughs> um, so... That has been, you know, the the story for me of 2016 is kind of that, you know, um, resurgence and rise of Nate Diaz becoming a really legitimate superstar and a guy who's now crossing over, it seems. Um, and, you know, to add to that, now that Nick Diaz's suspension <laughs> is up, you know, his stock by, you know, association by being Nate's older brother now. Uh, has gone up and now you get guys like Tyron Woodley calling him out and all these, you know, guys who potentially want to fight him down the line. I think, you know, 2016 is the year of the Diaz brothers. I mean, and and we're going to see that, you know, moving into the fall. Um, I think Nick is going to get a big fight. You know, Nate is obviously getting a very big fight uh, next week. Um, not this weekend, sorry, but the weekend after. Um, and I think this is, this is the year for the Diaz brothers. And, and we've seen, you know, um, sort of glimpses of, you know, what a Nate Diaz dominated MMA world could look like. Imagine, you know, Nate Diaz beating Connor and then Nick Diaz coming back and taking a title from Tyron Woodley, pandemonium, man. <laughs> Diaz brothers running the game, as as they believe they always have and always should have been. Um, that, I mean, listen, that's that's down on my notepad here, my little scribble pad of ideas as one of the highlights for me. Um, that event itself, UFC 196, I was there in attendance, um, started writing out that, that Conor McGregor was, was having a Typical Conor McGregor performance where he was just wearing out Nick Diaz. Um, looked, it started to look like it was live sparring, and then, and then Nate. Sorry, I said Nick earlier. Then Nate hit him with that that one shot that staggered him and turned everything around. Um, and that was following Holly Holm getting choked out in the last minute after I started writing. But Misha Tate is always a bridesmaid, so 
those two sort of dovetail together for me because my big highlight, and, and I've talked about this a bunch on Keyboard Kimura, I've talked about it a couple of times here, is is the championship chaos and all of the championship change. Um, Dwayne and I talked about it a couple episodes back. He is someone that prays at the altar of the chaos gods. I just like the parody of it. I like that I'm genuinely surprised and genuinely not sure how fights are going to play out at the championship level these days. And it feels like it has been a long time since we've been at this point where almost every, and I don't want to say every championship fight, because I think Demetrius Johnson fights are still going to win with, end with Demetrius Johnson's hand raised. I think Joanna Janjacek is going to hold on to that belt until she wants to just let it go. But outside of those two, it feels like every division, the champion is susceptible and the champion does have the possibility to lose. And I know there are people that say that that's bad for the sport and it's, you know, something I shouldn't want as a journalist. I should want dominant champions because that brings people in. But I want this excitement. I want this energy of legitimately being unsure. Like, it was amazing to see Michael Bisping go out there and back up his words and win the title in dominant, surprising, thrilling fashion. The same way it was Amanda Nunez against Misha Tate after Misha had done it to Holly Holm and looked incredible pulling that one, pulling that rabbit out of the hat. And so I would rather have that and some of this chaos and uncertainty than a bunch of champions on George St. Pierre or Anderson Silva type runs. I like the mix that we have, as I mentioned, with DJ and Ioana, who feel like they are solidified at the top of their division. But everywhere else, there's that little bit of uncertainty. And that, to me, is way more interesting from a pay-per-view standpoint than paying 60 bucks to watch, as Paul Chapman used to bitch about on this podcast all the time, paying 60 bucks to watch Ronda Rousey run through someone in 60 seconds. <laughs> now I go in and, and I think this championship fight could end in two and a half minutes, like Tyron Woodley and Robbie Lawler. It can end in, you know no time flat, like Stipe Miocic. Like, it's just been so interesting to me that we've had this change and that we finally have competitiveness and parity at the top of these divisions. So that has been my highlight. It's also my sort of thing to continue watching the rest of the way because I want to see if this continues. We're coming into some more title fights. Obviously, most of the pay-per-views are going to have championship bouts on them. Stipe Miocic going to defend his title for the first time. Um, you know, UFC 202, there isn't a title match, but but Conor McGregor, is he a guy that's going to be able to go too lightweight and win a belt? Can he defeat Jose Aldo again, or will Jose Aldo get revenge, setting up potentially a trilogy bout there? Um, can Dan Henderson land another H-bomb on Michael Bisping in his backyard. That's something I'm still looking forward to. My other one, I'm sort of waiting and sitting and, and to see what happens. It was my pick as the fight I'm most looking forward to at the start of the year. It is still the thing I'm most looking forward to the rest of the way. And that's the debut of CM Punk. I know people think I'm crazy, but I want to see this. Like, it has been... It was built up so much when he signed, and there was so much attention committed to him. Um, we had the situation with the looking for a fight, Mickey Gall calling him out, getting his opportunity. I still just really want to see what he's able to do, how he looks in the octagon, because I really do think 
I know there's been a couple injuries and a surgery in there that sort of delayed this, but I think he's gone about it and the UFC has gone about it the right way of him taking a lot of time. I mean, it'll be almost two years from the time that he signed and that was announced in December 2014 till the time he fights at UFC 203 in in Cleveland in the middle of September. But I'm still just enthralled to see what he's actually capable of because I also think, and, and Hunter pegged Mickey Gall as one of his guys to watch going forward. I I mean, I saw his first fight. He looked great. He's a confident kid. He's young. He's, he's obviously got some talent. He's got more experience than CM Punk. It's still a highlight for me of, of what I want to see the rest of the way. What about you? What stands out for you in the, I can't wait for this to happen? <laughs> well, you know what? I, I won't disagree with you in that I, I'm excited in in terms of, you know, sheer, you know, curiosity to see what CM Punk is going to look like inside the Octagon. Like you said, it's been a really long time since that announcement that he's coming to the UFC. Um, I, I still think that Mickey Gall is the perfect opponent. He's a guy you know, who has a lot of upside and is a very dangerous young fighter. And, and, um, you know, CM Punk, I, I sure hope that they, you know, prepared him well, uh, at Rufus Sport. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's, it's interesting. Maybe the spirit of Tyron Woodley will come upon him. Um, who knows, you know, and this is, you know, kind of goes back to what you were talking about with the unpredictability of the champions, man. Like, this is why I love this sport so much, honestly. The unpredictability factor of going into a fight and genuinely not knowing what's going to occur, that just excites me beyond belief. Like, I mean, <laughs> like I just, I don't know how that fight's going to play out. I, right now on, on August 7th, I would have to pick Mickey Gall mm. just because Mickey Gall has experience and CM Punk doesn't. But I would, I cannot wait that if if CM Punk gets that victory, I want to see all the people that lined up saying he has no business being in there. This is going to be a disaster. This is the stupidest thing ever. I want to see all of those people lined up at the Crow Buffet, just filling their plates and filling their boots. <laughs> and this is the thing that in this sport, it could happen, and 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 this is probably the only sport you know in the world where stuff like this, you know, happens and happens on a regular basis. We've seen it this year, time and time again. Oh, a favorite here, favorite there. Nope, sorry. Guess what? You got knocked out or you got choked out. That's what happens. This game is so unpredictable, and that's a part of what makes it so much fun to watch. Um, for me, actually, it's funny that you mentioned the CM Punk Mickey Gall fight because. A uh, fight that I'm really looking forward to seeing on that same card is the headlining bout against, uh, you know, Stipe Miocic versus Alistair Overeem. Uh, it is so exciting for me to see Alistair Overeem finally get that heavyweight title shot. Um, you know, he he's a new man almost right now. He's, you know, training with, with you know, Greg Jackson, you know, down there in Albuquerque and you know, he's he's changed a lot of his style. He's not that bulldozer that we saw against, you know, Brock Lesnar. He's a much more technical, smarter fighter. So it will be very interesting to see how he does against, you know, someone as, you know, young and talented as as 
Steve Miocic is young for the heavyweight division. <laughs> you. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you clarified that. <laughs> that's right. Um, but, you know, I think that's a great fight um, and one that I'm really looking forward to um, to see if, you know, can Alistair Overeem, I mean, the dream was when he had that Brock Lesnar fight and he beat Brock Lesnar, you know, Overeem's going to be that next champion. He's going to be the next dominant heavyweight champion. Well, here you go. You got your chance now. Let's see. You know, it's a few years late, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, way back when, supposed to fight Junior Dos Santos on the all-heavyweight card at UFC 146. How how times have changed, how Overeem has, has changed. I like the way that you danced around mentioning that he's not as as muscular and, and thick and chiseled <laughs> in this USADA era and and post-elevated levels of testosterone and year-long suspension version of, of Alistair Overeem. That was quite nice of you not to mention that. I had to be the asshole that I am and drop that in there. It's true, though. I mean, that that fight stands out for me as well. Um, I think it's going to be absolutely crazy. I know it's not official, official yet, but Michael Bisping announced on his show on Sirius XM that he and Dan Henderson will do the damn thing again in Manchester, England at UFC 204. It's going to be crazy to see the lights go out in that arena Song two kick up and that crowd go crazy for their native son, the UFC middleweight champion. Those moments are always things that I look forward to. I was fortunate enough to be in the building at, at Sky Dome Rogers Center, whatever you want to call it, for UFC 129. And there'd be a bunch of those with George St. Pierre and Mark Hominick. And even some of the non-Canadian guys coming out had great walkouts and great receptions. So that's something that definitely stands out. Um, is there any fighters, are there any sort of up-and-coming young fighters that have impressed you to start this year that you're looking forward to seeing one more time before this year is out and, and before we get out of here on this show? Yeah, man, um, definitely going back to that featherweight division, we kind of touched on him a little earlier, and this is a guy who I picked against in pun trunk predictions, uh, the Superboy. Um, man, in that featherweight division – I think that that kid is so exciting. He looks like a 12-year-old boy, but, man, he comes in and hits like a friggin' man, bro. <laughs> like, he is he is something else, and he's a, he's a very special guy, I think, in that featherweight division. I'm very excited to see, you know, uh, more things from him moving forward. He's one of those guys, like a Yair Rodriguez, he has that kind of, you know, um, just – Un, unpredictable kind of edge to him that makes him a very interesting guy to watch in the coming, you know, um, in the coming months and, and years uh, to see what we get from him. I'm very excited. He's definitely a guy that is on my list for sure in terms of, you know, being uh, one to watch moving forward for me. Yeah, I've got a couple and, and they've got fights booked so I can sort of circle when it is. Um, one Cody Garbrandt fighting again in a couple of weeks against Takeya Mizugaki, getting that veteran challenge after his win over Thomas Almeida, um, a guy that we've had on the show before, a guy that I've had a chance to, to get to know a little bit over these last couple of years, um, a guy that has his sights set on Dominic Cruz. And if he goes out and does what he did to Thomas Almeida or, you know, Augusto Mendez or Marcus Brimage, <laughs> He's, he's going to be able to make a case for that fight with Dominic Cruz, which would be very interesting. 
Also looking forward to seeing Jessica Andrade's sophomore appearance at strawweight. She looked phenomenal against Jessica Penne. She is still only 24 years old. She has a ton of experience in the UFC already. If you remember, she debuted on short notice against Liz Carmouche a couple summers ago in Seattle. Um, definitely sort of on that dark horse tip in, in the strawweight division, a division where, as I said, Joanna Janjacek seems like she will stay on top for a good long while and is running out of contenders. So if she goes out and puts on another dominant performance against Jojo Calderwood in Cleveland, which is the weirdest place to have a Scottish woman and a Brazilian woman meet in a pivotal fight, but that's just me. I mean, it would just make more sense to be a month back in Manchester, but I'm not here to do Sean Shelby and Joe Silva's job. Um, but if she goes out and, and starches Jojo the way that she did Jess Penne, she's definitely in that mix and, and suddenly becomes somebody that people are talking about and paying more attention to. So do yourself a favor and pay attention to that fight at UFC 203 on September 10th in Cleveland. Yeah. But but that's going to do it. We, we've kept this clean. We've kept this concise. I think this is the way to go on these kind of recap jobs. It gives us an opportunity to come back later in the week and talk about some other stuff. As I said off the top, we don't have anything to, to really preview for this weekend. It's a weekend off. Patrick, you can go back to wine country. You can <laughs> go back to Salt Spring Island. You can just hang out at the crib with the lady friend. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I think my wife is working, so I'm probably going to like take care of the honeydew list around the house and build some more stuff from Ikea because that's just what you do when you move into a new house. But we will definitely run it back later in the week talking about whatever happens. And, and listen, you've followed this score long enough. You've listened to this podcast long enough. You know there's going to be some shit that happens in the next couple of days that we will jump on here and talk about. But for now, we're going to call it a night. He is Patrick Shivinglinski. Follow Kimura, him on Twitter at P-A-T-C-W-I-A-L-I-N-S-K-I-N. Follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura. I am or visit Spencer them on Kite. Facebook at Facebook.com slash Keyboard Keep Kimura. checking out Province Sports. Keep checking out the Province slash MMA blog. We will have some videos for you this week. As I said, we'll be back later in the week with another show. Until then... Thank you for listening. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review and tell us how great or awful we are. And most importantly, be good to each other.